Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's begin Ein Gimel Amid Beis, in the middle, after the two dots. Amar Rav. Edim shehok chashu l'basof huzmo. You have witnesses that were first contradicted, and then there's Hazama. Hazama is where a pair of witnesses doesn't contradict the testimony of another pair, but rather attacks the validity of the first pair. So instead of saying, you didn't get it right, that's not exactly what happened, they fundamentally attack the witnesses. You are Edim Zomimim. You're not eligible to testify. You were with us at the time that you claimed to have witnessed something. You could not have testified. So that is Hakhasha. Tchilas Hazama is the claim here. Rava is, is saying this, that Edim Shulchashu Tzofuzmu Neherogim. Even though they started with Treo Tre, they started with testimony that was in deadlock, meaning there's two conflicting reports, two sets of witnesses, then one of the sets is disqualified by personal attack on their integrity. They are Zomamin, they're conspiring, they could not have actually testified about what they saw. So how do you view that? Do you say that the testimony is already inadmissible because of the conflict, and therefore there will not be the consequences of Hazama, that the witnesses get what they tried to give? Or do you say that they do? And the process of Hakhosha is the beginning of Hazama. And we do not view it as two distinct processes. We say one leads to the next, and therefore they are eligible for the consequences of Hazam. So Rava says that is the case. And if you look at the letter, that is actually how we paskin, Raman, the tour. So let's see how we know this. How does Rava derive this? Amar Rav. Meaning, we say that it's a process and the conclusion of their invalidation, of the witness's invalidation, has not been completed. So we view it as a gradual process that is connected. First, the testimony is thrown into question because of conflicting testimony. And finally, the rejection of one pair of witnesses that cat is disqualified, and they become zomimim. Amar Rava, mina amin Allah. Rava says, how do I know this? Ditanya, he derives it from a brisa. Me'idonu bishploni. We have testified concerning a certain person, shesimas ein avdo, who blinded the eye of his slave. Vehipel ashino. And he also knocked out his tooth. In that order. Shahare harab omer came, for behold, the master says so. This is in the interest of the master to some extent. We're going to see how the Gemara is going to question this. 
And then this testimony is now undermined because the cat of Adim, this set of witnesses, is invalidated. Another set says, they are Zomamin, they could not have testified to this story. They were with us at the time they claimed they saw whatever happened. What is the consequence? Mishalman me'ayin le'evet. This set of witnesses is liable to pay the financial value of the eye to the slave. That's the ratio of a brisa. Hechidami, Rava evaluates. How do we understand what is going on in the brisa? If we say that it is in accordance with what is taught, that there is no additional set of witnesses, meaning in the Brisa, we only have explicit mention of two pairs. The first pair mentioned, who says a story, and the second pair mentioned that are mazimin. They invalidate the first pair. Is there another pair? So if we say there is no other pair, so then we're going to have a series of problems. The Brisa asserts that this group of Zomamin is liable to pay the financial value of the eye of the slave to the slave. Balsar what do you mean? They gave him the best gift you can imagine. Through their testimony, they sent him off free. The halacha is that if a master knocks out, blinds, the eye, teeth, any of the extremities of the limbs, that slave goes free when the master does this. So that is a consequence. So according to their testimony, the slave goes free. So this is a, a big boon. So it's me'eno kaboy. Shulamit, does he have to pay that value? He's given, their testimony has given him much more value than that. Granted, it's false testimony, but... Certainly, his value, which they have granted to him illegally through their testimony, far exceeds the value of the eye that they didn't, the value of his eye that they didn't give him. So that doesn't square up. The ode, and a further question, again, if you do not introduce a third set of witnesses, The witnesses that are invalidated through Hazama, they should have to pay the entire value of the slave to the master. And the Brisa doesn't say that. The Ode and a third question, for the master says so. This is to the advantage of the master. Is the master pleased with his testimony? The same way that we just asked, the master 
should be receiving compensation this, if this false testimony is depriving him of his slave. So how could we say that it is to the benefit of the master? Elalav kigon, also betray. Rather, is it not that we need to introduce to the Brisa another pair of witnesses? So this third set of witnesses is now being introduced in the beginning of the story. We are introducing an introduction to the Brisa that is not there in order to make sense of everything. We have two sets of witnesses, and their story is, first, Hebelashina, First, the master knocked out the slave's teeth. Then, blinded his eye. And what is the consequence? By virtue of the first injury, the slave goes free. Now, by the time of the second injury, he's a free man. And he has been wounded. The master now just fellow, is liable to pay for the loss of his eye. That is the consequence of the first pair's testimony. Again, that is being theorized here. It's not explicit in the Raisa. Rava is introducing it to have the Raisa make sense. Also betray mitzi'ai. And now, this is what the Raisa is talking about. We have a second pair of witnesses coming in, in the middle. V'amri eno and they say a similar story, but the opposite order, as we saw in the Brisa. First, the master knocked out the slave's eye. Then, the master knocked out his teeth. And in what way are they disagreeing in practice with the first set of witnesses? They are giving a leniency on the liability to the master. They both agree both first set and second set of witnesses, that the master loses his slave by virtue of having caused this type of wound where he knocked out one of Roshay's arm. He blinded him, knocked out a tooth. This, everybody agrees, both sets of witnesses, the master loses his slave. But now, the second one, this is the question. How much money needs to be paid does the master, former master, have to compensate his former slave? The value of an eye is much more than the value of a tooth. So the second set is saying, based on his their presentation of the order, that since the second wound was knocking out the tooth, that's what he has to pay. That's what the master has to pay to this former slave. The ka makshile kamoi and we have hakhasha between the first and second set. The first set is saying against the second set. Right? The first set said based on their order that the master has to pay the value of the eye. And the second set says the master has to pay the value of the tooth. And that explains why the Brisa says that the master says so. That this is helping the master, so to speak. The testimony of these false witnesses, the middle group of witnesses, that they are softening the liability to the master. Now he only has to pay the value of the tooth, not of the eye. That's understood now by introducing the third 
pair of witnesses in the beginning with a, a greater liability for the master. So the second set is giving a leniency. He gains by what the middle set of witnesses is saying. And it's taught that they are found out to be false witnesses through the process of Azama. How could you testify? And you are with us. What happens? Since the middle set was giving us leniency to the master, that is depriving the slave, freed slave at this point, the value of his eye, which he stood to gain, because if the correct series of events is the way the first set of witnesses declared it, the master, former master, has to pay his former slave the value of his eye. The slave's eye. He lost his eyesight. And that needs to be compensated from the Zomamin to the former Evid. Shmamina, Rava, construes from his Brisa, derived from here, that in fact, although the initial status when the second pair of witnesses came in, contradicting the first set, the first set is contradicting the second set, that is Hakhasha, the final witnesses that say, we're going to break the, the deadlock here, the second set are liars, not on the testimony directly, but they themselves are scoundrels. They could not testify. They were with us. That is a hazama on a testimony that is already neutralized, so to speak, because there's a contradiction from other testimony, but it's hakasha, that's tchilas hazama, and therefore there's the financial responsibility. In this case, there could be greater responsibility. It could be a case of giving up their lives as a consequence of hazama, here it's financial, and they are on the hook for the hazama. They have to pay. Therefore, we see substantiation of this claim. Let's see Rashi. Shesimas ein avdo. He blinded the eye of his slave, and he went free. Then he knocked out his tooth. And the master is liable to give the value of the tooth. To the slave. Shera Omer came. Behold, the master says so. He's in favor. It's to his benefit. Kilomar, meaning to say, it is to the advantage of the master, Bisadusa Dehani, within the testimony of these. Gemar the Hemshech is going to explain how this benefits the master which we saw, according to Rava's interpretation, they are giving a leniency to the master. He only has to pay the value of the tooth, not of the eye. Derived from here, Rava asserts that Hakhasha is the beginning of Azama. The Gemara said, right, it's the beginning. It has just not been completed yet. If you would not say this, since they are neutralized and their testimony is neutralized, is there anything left to say there is Hazama? 
We would say it's nothing. Back in the Gemara. Our Gemara just has a slightly different girsa. Omer Abaye. Lo. Abaye disagrees with Rav. We have no raya over here of Hakhasha Tichilas Hazama. Tafchinu Vazmino. Don't introduce a third set of witnesses to introduce the Braisa, an introductory case that was not mentioned. How do you understand the Braisa? Rava had some serious kashas on how to understand the Braisa. He wasn't introducing a third set of witnesses for no reason. Abaya has a different mahal. That they are switched and then the testimony is switched. So we only have two sets of witnesses. Switch the testimony first and then do azama. Now, as I have one, two punch. From the second set. Let's see Rashi. Amale Abaye Lo. Abaye responding to Rava disagrees. E the Hokhoshu. Al Ede. Al Yede Katrishona. If they were contradicted through the first set of witnesses, Shuv and Katrishis Mazimosam. Then the third set of witnesses will not affect Hazama. And the second set will be off the hook. Because Abaya holds that we do not say Then the Edus is bottle and there's nothing more to do. So how do you understand the Braisa? There is no first set. He says the Braisa didn't mention it. And that's because it doesn't exist, according to Abayi. Ella, hein, just this one set mentioned, the first set in the Brisa is the first set. With a kasha lach, and now what you have a kasha. The me'evel rav boy Shouldn't the value of the slave that the master was deprived of, shouldn't that be the appropriate consequence of the testimony being found false, of the Edom Zomamin, in, in Abaye's understanding, the second set are Mezimin of the first set. So if you have Azama, the, the price of this false testimony should be the value of the slave to the master. So what is the case, according to Abaye? The second set of witnesses which is parallel to the third set of witnesses in Rava's understanding of the Braisa, that engages in Hazama, first, they flip the story. They flip the order. They don't say, you guys couldn't have testified, you were with us, you liars. That's not the whole story. First, they said it was the opposite. So apparently, very interesting case, we've got... Two sets of witnesses, and uh, the the Adim are simultaneously able to say, "Well, we saw what happened." I guess they were standing by the window, and the second side was sitting at the table, not able to see from the window. The Adim that are being muzamin, they're being falsified, claimed to be liars. 
So they're able to say two things. They're able to say, A, what actually did happen is the opposite. And they're juggling. They're also saying, and you couldn't have seen. We saw, you couldn't have seen from your vantage point. So we did see, and it was the opposite of what you said. And you guys are a bunch of rogues. So they've obviously got a very interesting vantage point where they can see what happened and are also keeping their eyes simultaneously on the false witnesses that they're saying you couldn't have seen. That day, you say you were with us, in such a place. So Rashi gives a, a less dramatic case. Rashi says, it was two different days. The day that you testified, that you saw that Reuven knock out Leroy's teeth, and blind as I, that day, you were with us, liars. You couldn't have seen it. But it did happen. It was another day. So it is true that a story similar to what you said happened, the opposite of what you said, we did see that. And you couldn't have said what you said on the day you said it, because you were with us. It was the opposite order. That's Afrino Mahapik, they switched the sequence of events. So this final set of witnesses is achieving two goals, two purposes. Instead of Ravas introducing a third set, Abaya learns there are only two sets, and the second set is doing a lot of work. They're both engaging in attacking the first set and also presenting testimony of their own. Switching what happened. The amount of shach evan nafilicheros. So therefore, we the court is going to require the master to relinquish the slave. The slave goes free. The hein mishamlod me'ayin, and kornabai. It's the first set of witnesses. They have to pay the value of the eye. Shiratzulaf sido. They wanted to deprive the slave of what the master should have paid him if the second attack was to, the blinding attack. So he's already free and he's got a lot more money coming to him. So the Adam Zomimin have to pay that. And it would have been to the benefit, the first set of witnesses, according to Abaye, that says, first, the attack was blinding the slave's eye, then knocking out the tooth. So the master would be happy with that since he anyway is losing his slave. There is no contradiction, no conflict about this point. It's just a matter of how much he has to pay. So he'd rather pay less. He'd rather that the freedom come about through the blinding of the eye and just pay the value of the tooth. So if you have a kasha, since they are the first set, what were they causing him to lose? 
meaning the Aden Zomamin, according to Abaye, were the first set. There was no introducing a third set in the beginning of the story, like, like Rava said. So why do you say that's a loss? Why should they have to pay for the value of the eye? They testify that you should go free. And, and still, the value of the slave to the master, they should have to pay through their false testimony. Later, the Gemara is going to address this. We got a nice adumbration over here. The Rashi is cluing us in. We're going to see it on Andalat Amadalat. That the case was, there was Amad Abedin. They already had a court case about it. Okay, let's talk, okay, continue. Andalat Amadalat at the top. Mimai, the bottom line of Angelon Bebez. Mimai, how does Abaye understand? Who told Abaye that this is the correct interpretation? Midaseifa. This Brisa, which we've seen until now, we've only introduced the first part of the Brisa, but we're going to shortly see there's a conclusion of this Brisa, the Seifa. The Mefech Vazama. And in the Seifa, you have a switching of testimonies. The order, sequence of events is switched between the first set and the second set. Only two sets, according to Abaye. And the second set engages in Azama. So, Abaye says, so too, let us derive an understanding of the Reisha, the beginning of the Brisa, from the conclusion of the Brisa. We'll understand the introductory Brisa, which is a challenging read, as we saw Rabbi introduces a whole other set of witnesses. Abaye says you don't need to do that can lean heavily on the final set, what's pushing him to say that? He says, let us derive from the Seifa, which we're about to see, and learn the Reisha is parallel to the Seifa, that you have one set of witnesses that are doing two jobs. They're switching the order and doing Hazama, being amazing, the, the second set, or the, the first set in Abaye's understanding of the Bryson. Tiktani, as is taught in the Seifa, Nedonus Ish Ploni. We've testified concerning a certain man, that he knocked out the tooth of his slave, and he blinded his eye. For behold, the slave, his slave, says so, like parallel to the first part of the Brisa. Here we're saying this testimony is to the advantage of the slave. There we said it's the advantage of the master. Here we're saying in the Seifa, it's the advantage of the slave. Right? Because since the sequence of events is first the tooth, that gives misfreedom, second the eye, so that's worth a lot more money than the tooth. And then this set of witnesses is shown to be liars. They could not have testified. They're Zomamin. A second set of witnesses says, you could not testify. You were with us at the time that you claim you witnessed what happened. What does, do, what do these Adam Zomamin have to pay? They have to pay the value of the eye 
to the master. Hey, Chidami, what's the case? E de lo kamodu lo basrai if the second set of witnesses does not concede that the master in any way harmed the slave, then they should have to pay the entire value of the slave to the master. Rather, it's obvious, in order to understand the safe of the Brysa, the second set of witnesses does agree both the first set and the second set, they all agree, that there was a wound, and the slave is going free. And what are they doing? The second set, first, we have that they are, well, I don't know, in terms of the ordering of things, we'll see, but the way it's presented here, is the gear sub, but the Bach changes it to Afrinu. It's a little... More precise, they, the second set of witnesses, switch the sequence. And they said the first set were liars. They could not have testified. And what's the case? If you say that they are post-dating the attack, that they say what, what transpired really happened later. So they're agreeing that the slave goes free, but at a later date. They should still be liable to pay for the value of the slave to the master. Because when they said that the man is liable. Based on the fact that it had not yet happened, according to the second set of witnesses, which we are believing, they are mazimin, and exerzakosavis, we believe the second set, and they are attacking the integrity. It's an ad hominem attack. They're saying, you guys are scoundrels. You could not have testified. It's not that we disagree a different perspective. We think you got something wrong about the testimony. They're saying, you're scoundrels. We believe the second set. And at that point, when, if, if the second set who is believed says, there's only a subsequent freeing of the slave, the wound, knocking out the teeth or, or poking at his eye or, or blinding him, that only happened later. So the first set actually cost the master the value of a slave. So they should have to pay for that. Rather, the second set of witnesses are not only switching the order, but predating it. So they're saying, you, first set of witnesses, that's not what happened. The master did not... Uh, hit his slave in a way that the slave goes free on Monday. It happened on Sunday. It happened before. So that way, they are saying that the second set of witnesses, although they are wrong, but they're not actually making the master lose his money based on this 
testimony of the second set of witnesses, first set of witnesses here, has not caused the master to lose his slave. He already lost it from the day before. And then the second set says the first set of witnesses were not able to testify. Not only are they wrong, but on Monday, they were all together at the beach somewhere else, and they could not have testified about what happened. And it actually, anyways, happened on Sunday. So, since it happened earlier, that's why there's no liability of the Adam Zoman to pay the value of the Evid to the master. And if they had not yet had a Bedin, had this court case, they should still have to pay, these Adam Zomamin should still have to pay the value of the slave to the master. Should have to pay to the master. Because he's not been liable to give up his ownership over the slave. Rather, it must be that there was Ahmad Abdin. They already had the court case, and therefore, it happened on Sunday. They had the, the court case on Sunday. And you guys are not just day late and a dollar short, you guys are liars. Rav Acha Bere Dervika says to Ravashi, we have this machlokas, how to understand the b'risa between Rava and Abaye. Now, we're going back to Rava. How does Rava actually derive from this b'risa that hakhasha is t'chila sazama? Ileima mireisha, which is at face value, the way it was presented on Ein Gimel Medbez, you say that from the introduction of the b'risa, Rav was able to extract this principle that hakhasha is tchilas hazama mika mitzkachshimitziyai were the middle set of witnesses. Again, in Rava, there are three sets of witnesses. The first one are phantom witnesses not mentioned in the Brisa, but Rav introduces them. The second set are the ones that are turned into Zomimim by the third set. But did you have a khasha? He's trying to say a khasha hazama. First, they're neutralized. Then, they are uh, vilified. First neutralized, then vilified. Where do you have that they're neutralized? Do you say the middle ones are actually neutralized? If they would not have hazama, let's leave off the final vilification of the second set of witnesses, what would you say? You have the phantom first set of witnesses, and then the second set of witnesses, which the Brisa talks about. The second set are saying a leniency for the master. They are saying the master only has to pay the value of the knocked out tooth. The first set says the master has to pay the value of the eye. He blinded him. You have these two sets of witnesses that are in conflict with each other. What would the court do? The court would say, they both agree the slave goes free. And they both agree the lower value of the tooth must be paid. 
So the court will rule in accord with the second set of witnesses. That's not hakasha. They are riding high. Their testimony is what is going to be ruled by the court. The psak din will be like that. Because within 200 is 100. Every 200 also has 100. So the value of the eye in this marshal, let's say it's 200, the value of the tooth is 100. That's what we'll say. They both agree. The first set he has to, says he has to pay more, but the second set says he has to pay, the, the master has to pay his freed slave the value of the tooth. Everybody agrees to that amount, and the court will require the master to pay that. So therefore, which set of witnesses is neutralized? It's the testimony of the first set. Their testimony is knocked out. They said the master should have to pay more value of the eye. And they lose. Their testimony is knocked out because the second set was makhish. But the second set, although in actuality there's another set saying, you got it wrong, that's not what happened, the order was the other way. But in practice, the second set's testimony is what will carry the day. So therefore, you don't have a kush of the second set. And if you don't have a kush of the second set, so they don't have a kush of Tchilas Hazama. Therefore, you cannot prove it from the ratio of the Brisa. Amalei Rava, Sava, Midereisha, Bishalash Kitos, Seifanam Bishalash. The inverse of Abaye's logic, who says, just as in the Seifa, we're talking about a simple case of two sets of witnesses, will push that into the ratio as well. Rava's going the other way. Rava says, just as the first case of the Brisa has three sets, the phantom set in the beginning that he introduced, followed by two sets that are explicit in the Brisa, he says, hang the Seifa on the Reisha and understand the Seifa to also have three sets of witnesses. Dig the Seifa and derive from the Seifa. The real nugget that Rava is trying to prove, Hakasha, is Tchilas Hazama, is from the Seifa. Kigon, does betray. What's the case? That first two witnesses came. They say, first set of witnesses, that the master knocked out the tooth of the slave. And he blinded his eye. And the court judged accordingly, based on that testimony, that the slave is free and the liability that the former master has to pay his former slave is the value of the eye. But also betray Acharine. And then you have another set of witnesses, the Amri, and they say the order is switched. First, Simas Eno, first the master knocked out the eye of the slave. Then he knocked out the tooth. They contradict the testimony of the first witnesses. The Nimsu Zomin. And then they are found out to be Zomin. We have a third set of witnesses saying the second set are Adam Zomin. Nimsu Zomin. Kamai Mishalmin. Me'ain. So they say that the first set is contradicted and proven 
by the Hazama. They could not have testified. They were not eligible to testify. They were with a third set at that time. So what do they need to pay? They must pay the value of the eye to the master. So the first set of witnesses are now the ones that are made into Zalmin. First, there's Hakhasha by the second set of witnesses. That's Makhish, the testimony of the first set. And then the third set of witnesses come and finishes them off and says that first set, which first had Hakhasha, their testimony is not going to be carrying the day at this point. They said the higher amount, that the master knocked out the tooth first and then the eye. So there's a payment of the eye due to the slave, former slave. That's Hokhash. Then the third set finishes them off and says, the first set of Edim are rogues. Now they are Zomimim. So the first one is, the first set are Zomimim, Mishalmim, Dmei Ayin Lerab. And as Edim Zomimim, they must pay the value of the eye to the master. They sought to deprive the master of more than the value of the tooth, the value of the eye. They've got to pay that. And if you hold that this concept that Rav is championing, that first neutralization is a stepping stone and is completed with Hazama, we don't say it's neutralized and there's no room for subsequent Hazama. We say Hazama is just waiting to happen. If you wouldn't say that, then why should they have to pay? The second set of witnesses has already done hakhasha on the first set. Say the first set's testimony is neutralized and gone. How could they become Edim Zomamin and have to pay? Muzai? Rabbi says it has to be because hakhasha is tzchila sazama. Ha de iskashkulu meikar. If there was hakhasha first, why do they pay? Elishmamina derived from the seifa of the Braisa, which Rava understands also has three sets of witnesses, derived from here, that the first neutralization of their testimony brought about by the second set of witnesses claim, their, their testimony is hakhasha, that is followed up by the hazama of the, the third set, our mezimin, es harishonim, and the rishonim become edim zomimin, hakhasha tchilasazam, what will say to you? Goes well according to the Reisha. The first part of the Braisa. Below is a better gear. Below Shalosh Kitos. Without three sets of witnesses. Abaya understands what the challenge of the Reisha is and what's pushing Rava to introduce the phantom witnesses in the beginning of the case. Sharektani Arav Omerkin. Because in the Reisha, the first part of the Brisa, we have this curious statement. The Rav is supporting this testimony. And how could that be? The Rav is losing his, his Evet. Allah Seifa. But in the Seifa of the Brisa, the concluding case of the Brisa, who is telling you to introduce a third set of witnesses? In the Seifa, in the conclusion of the Braisa, the slave is the one who is supportive of the testimony, the first testimony, and of course he's supportive. 
He's thrilled. The slave doesn't need much. He says, I'm going free. Whatever he gets, he's happy. So you don't need to introduce a third phantom set in the beginning of the case of the Seifa, and therefore don't do that, says Abaye. They have a fundamental disagreement of what is the most reasonable approach to putting together the Reisha and the Seifa. Masif law Rebizera. Rebizera asks Akasha. Emo Sima Eno say that he blinded his eye. Nepok Eno he should go out with his eye. He knocked out his tooth. He goes out with the tooth. That's very straightforward. The master that knocks out the eye or the tooth or blinds the eyes equivalent. That is Rosh Evarim, that the, the master needs to free his slave. The slave goes free by virtue of this wound. Sima Saint of Ahipil Eshenu. If the master both blinded his eye and knocked out his tooth of the slave, then the slave should go free by virtue of both his eye and tooth. It says, why do we find, Rabbi Zeros asking question, why do we find that the liability at all exists, any financial payment, it seems to be one act of aggression that the master engaged in against his slave. And therefore, whatever falls, falls. What should be the consequence is the slave should go free. Why are we saying that there's any liability either for the value of the tooth or the eye? Just say when both happened, the slave goes free and that's it. Amar Abaye, or Amar Leabaye, different Girsa. Alech Amar concerning you, the verse stated, Tachas Eno, Lo Tachas Eno Vishen. Instead of, in place of his eye, and not his eye and his tooth. Tachas Shena Velo Tachas Shena Veno. The Torah also says he goes free. Instead of the, the tooth that he had, he loses his tooth. And he goes free, but not instead of his tooth and his eye. You don't say that we lump together both losses and just give him his freedom. Amar of Edi bar Avin, of Edi bar Avin said, Afananami Tanino, we have also had this taught, a parallel limut, gone of Apishnaim, if the theft. There are two witnesses testify that a thief stole the Tavach Umachar al and then the witnesses say that that thief not only sold, but subsequently slaughtered or sold or sold that which they stole, that animal. And then the witnesses against this thief are found out to be rogues themselves. There's Omen. Then, Mishaman Lo, Esako. Now they're on the hook for everything. These Adam's Omen have to pay the full liability. 
My love is the case not, that first they testified concerning the theft, then they testified, not only did he steal it, the plot thickens, then he slaughtered it, and then these witnesses are found out to be liars. First in the Gneva, the pair of witnesses says they couldn't have testified about that. How could they see the uncle stealing over there? They were with us at that time. And then witnesses say, not only couldn't he have seen Yankel stealing the cow, he couldn't have seen, these two witnesses could not have seen Yankel slaughtering the cow. As if that's the most straightforward understanding of this limud, you have what appears to be what happened first? There's Hazama on the Gneva first. That is going to be Makhish the Tvicha. These witnesses first are undermined in their integrity concerning the testimony of the theft. Now where does that leave the testimony of the slaughter? Well, nobody so far has come forward to undermine that testimony, but it certainly is Hukhash. There's a Hakhasha on that testimony. That it's it's neutralized, even though nobody's saying at the time you said of the slaughter, you couldn't have seen that because you were with us. That hasn't happened yet. And nonetheless, the halacha is which taught you have to pay the mazim, the Adam Zoman have to pay everything. Not just the Gneva, but also Tvicha Machira, they have to pay the full amount. And if you would say, like a bai. That hakhasha, the neutralization of the testimony, makes it ineligible for a subsequent hazama, and then they would not be liable for the tvicha. A tvicha, a Why does it say they have to pay for everything? They should not have to pay for their testimony that the thief also slaughtered. Alalav shramino hakhasha Rather derive from here another way of proving. Although it's been first neutralized, the testimony is subsequently still eligible to become huzam, that the Edom Zomin could start off as Edom Mukhashin. Amri Hachamayaskina. How could you understand this? Even though it's not the most straightforward, intuitive way of understanding it, you don't have a real solid proof from this limud, because it could be that the first hazama was on the tvicha. So there's no hakhasha on the gneva in such a case. You say first, the witnesses say, you pair of witnesses are rogues, you can't have seen that slaughter. You were with us at the time you said that he slaughtered it. Okay? But there's no neutralization at that point of the first testimony that he stole. It's not, it's not knocked out. If it wasn't stolen, then he didn't slaughter it. But if it wasn't slaughtered, it doesn't detract from being stolen. So if you switch the order of the Azama, you don't have a proof from here of HaKhasha Tchilas Azama. Rashi. No ve'eno ve'sheno. Ve'olam d'me lo 
Nitavle. My love, Sheidu al Hagneva. Shegana ve echot bishabis. Chosr ve idu, Shetavach bishen bishabis. Vohuzmo, Ayom Rishon, Bishlishi bishabis. Rashi gives a series of what happened when. The test, the witnesses that are going to become Zomin testified concerning the theft that he stole on Sunday. And then they said he slaughtered it on Monday. And they were found out to be Zomimin on Sunday, on Tuesday. And then, that which they claimed took place on Monday, that was a slaughter. On Wednesday, witnesses came in and said, you were with us on Monday. And the conclusion is that the witnesses that are now Ede Hazoma have to pay the full amount, the Knas of Dalvehe. Even though already from Tuesday there's a neutralization of their testimony concerning the slaughter, given the Logan of Lotovach, guy didn't steal something, so he couldn't have slaughtered that which he stole. The on Tuesday, they already have been falsified, their, their testimony about what happened on, on Sunday, that it was stolen. So the, the foundation is, is gone. Al tvicha tchila, on the slaughter first. Neschaibu teshlume shlosha. And they're liable for three, three payments. Adain edus gneva kayemes. And the testimony of the theft is still outstanding. And then, secondarily, when the false witnesses are found to be Edim Zomin on the original act they claimed they witnessed the stealing, so then you'll have the Chiv, Kefel, and Karen, you'll have full liability of Hamisha of five times, if it was the, the ox. There is a apparently a disagreement about witnesses that first had hakasha. First, they were neutralized. A second set of witnesses giving contradictory testimony. And then one pair is found to be zomimin. Their integrity is attacked. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar. They argue about this. Rabbi Yochanan and argue about this point. One says they have the full liability. Now they are Adam Zomin, subject to capital punishment potentially, if that's what their testimony sought to do. And one says no. They're not subject to Ariga. The Hakhasha seems to be the end of the testimony. And now they cannot be subject to Azama. So let, let us suggest that the Machlokas, Habaye, and Rava is really a Machlokas, Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi Elazar. This time Rabbi Elazar who de'amar e'neragin. And now let us propose who says what. Say it's Rabbi Elazar who says that hakasha is not chilas azama. That once there's hakasha, they will not be killed. De'amar Rabbi Elazar, why? What did Rabbi Elazar say that leads us in that direction? Eidim shehuk chashu b'nefesh lokim. Eidim that had hakasha, they were neutralized, their testimony is neutralized, concerning a soul, they get lashes. Rashi, 
We're not talking about Hazama, just Hakhasha. Lokin, they get Malkus. Mishum, Losane. They're getting lashes for false testimony. Even though it's a prohibition that does not entail an action normally to get lashes, there's an action in this violation. This is brought, Gemar and Makis. We derive that they are subject to lashes, potentially, even though it's lav shenbo maizu. Ve'i sak daitach, says the Gemara. Rebbe Lazar who? And if you'll say that it's Rebbe Lazar, that says that they do get killed, amai lokin. Why then should they also get lashes, which is what he does say explicitly. It should be considered a violation of a lab. Rash already addressed the issue of Misa, that there is no act. We have a drasha that is Chayv Malchus anyway. But it should be a lab a prohibition that is subject to a death penalty. And that should also neutralize the ability to get lashes for it, a separate angle. If it's a prohibition that has the potential for a capital punishment, there should be no lashes. Rather, is it not? Shmamina derived from here. That it is Rabbi Lazar who says, and in our presentation, saying it's Lishitasai, that Rabbi Lazar is going with Abaye. That Hakhasha is not Tchilas Azama. And Rava is going with the Yochanan. That Hakhasha is Tchilas Azama. Testaim Lokin, Treu Treinenu. Conclude that there are lashes. Shema Minor, Velazar, the Amar, Ein Nerogin. Testaim Lokin. Derived from here, the Velazar is the one who says they do not get killed and conclude that they get lashes. Since it's not a lav. It's Nitin Lazarus Misa Bezdin. That's why they get lashes. He says they get lashes. It's because there is no further potential of Hazama because there already was Hakhasha. So Gemara says, Tre Utre Ninhu. There are two against two. You have Hakhasha. My is to Samchazahani. Samachahani. We have a technical question here. Why is Rabbi Lazar issuing lashes over here? If you have two witnesses against two witnesses, the two witnesses, both pairs, should be neutralized. Why is Bezdin pulling out their whip, lashing one, one set for Losane? Which one should they lash? How are they going to know? Why should they rely on one over the other? They have a very good proof which set is lying because the one who they claimed was murdered walks into the court. Shalom Aleichem. Now, obviously, the ones who say that he was killed are the liars. The guy walks into court. So then, without Hazama, we didn't have Hazama. Yet. Rabbi Lazar says, give lashes for Losane for the Edim that were Huk Chashu. And it's not given over. It's not Azhar, Nitin Lemisa's Bezdin, because once it's neutralized, according to Rabbi Lazar, there's no more potential for Hazama. Rashi, if you'd say that, if you have a subsequent Hazama attacking the integrity of the witnesses, 
then they would be subject to capital punishment. Then in the case where you just had a klasha, why do they get lashes? Before you get tazama, since there's the looming potential of a capital case, they shouldn't get lashes. My chazis, the samchis, ahani, smochahani. Rashi explained, bishlama hazama. It goes well by hazama. Chidish, it is a kosovu. The fact that we have a mandate from the Torah to believe the second set that attacks the integrity of the first set, that's what the Torah says. Aval hakhasha, lav chidish. But in case of hakhasha, just two sets of witnesses that have contradictory testimony, the fact that the both sets are neutralized, that does not require Xeus HaKosov. That is not a novelty from the Pasuk. That's a strictly logical derivation. You don't have the ability to believe one scenario over the other. So they're neutralized. You do not have the testimony that the Torah says should be believed, you have two contradictory testimonies, they are neutralized. So how do you know to give out lashes for losane, for false testimony? Don't know who to give it to. Bahar Baraglo, when the murdered comes in walking on his feet, the one who had been testified about that he was killed, walks in, no problem, he's alive, alive and well before us. So that is a clear proof which set are liars. But you did not have Hazama give Malkus for Hakhasha. Let's see the Mishnah. Gonov Alpishnaim Betovach Umachar Alpirechar. If two witnesses testified that someone stole, and one witness testified that he slaughtered. Oh, Apiatsmo. Or he confessed that he slaughtered. He is liable to pay Kefel. That's the fine. Not only does he have to give back or pay the value of what he stole, he has to pay double. But based on one witness or his own testimony, his own admission, he does not have to pay the additional fine of four or five times what he stole for slaughtering or selling. Gun of the Tovach if he stole and slaughtered on Shabbos. Gun of the Tovach if he stole and slaughtered before an idol. Gun of Mishal Aviv, if he stole from his father, Umeis Aviv, and then his father died. And then, after his father's death, he slaughtered and sold it. Or, or sold it. Ganav v'hiktish, if he stole and then consecrated it as an offering. Then after that, he slaughtered or sold it. Or sold it. Mishalim tashlumakefel, he must pay a double payment, the karen and kefel, the fine. But not the bigger fine for slaughtering or selling of four or five times. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon disagrees in part. He says, if 
he consecrated it for an offering that he is on the hook if something happens. So then he does have to pay Tashlume Dalvehe, he has to pay four or five times. Shain Chaibachriuson Potter. But if he consecrated it as an offering that he is not on the hook for, just as an offering, if it works out, but he's not liable in case something happens to the animal, then he's not going to be high for the Dalvehe, according to Bishop. And I'll agree. Rashi, he has to pay the kefel, the double, because there are witnesses that he stole. He doesn't have to pay the subsequent payment based on his own testimony, the additional fine of four or five times for slaughtering or selling that which he stole. By his own admission, he will not have to pay. The rule is, if he concedes, that he did something, he admits to it, he's exempt. Exempt from that extra fine. The gun of a tovach b'shabes, if he stole and slaughtered on Shabbos, potter at v'icho, he's exempt for the liability for the slaughter because he violated Shabbos through that slaughter and he, he therefore is in bigger trouble because of that. He's exempt from dalve umeis aviv, in case when he stole from his father, his father died, then, and he is the inheritor. So he inherited that which he stole. And the slaughter after it's now by him is not entirely in a state of prohibition. Why it's called Kula Bisura? Why not just Lohavit Ficha Bisura? Meaning, what do you want him to do? He inherited that which he stole. Rashi is saying it's not entirely in a state of prohibition. Rakopanim, he's going to be potter from Dalvei. Gona vehiktish. If he stole and consecrated. Ki katavach. Dehiktish tavach. When he comes to slaughter, since he consecrated it, he's slaughtering that which is hektish. Below the bailin. And it is no longer the property of the original owner. So he will be exempt from Dalvei, from the additional payment. Rabbi Shimon Omer, the Gemara Mepharash, Rabbi Shimon is going to explain Rabbi, the Gemara is going to explain Rabbi Shimon, what is going on. In the Gemara, Alpi Eid Echad Pshita, the Mishnah said that if the way the court knows the slaughter took place was from the testimony of one witness, isn't it obvious? Amri Hokamash Malon, this is what it's coming to teach you. Alpi Atzmo, Domi Alpi Eid to draw a comparison between when he confesses, the thief confesses and admits to his wrongdoing, that is similar to one witness. Just as by the testimony of one witness, he the one witness is waiting in the wings. If another witness comes, now you have two witnesses and he will become liable. So too, we're drawing a parallel. When he confesses, the thief comes in, clapping al so sorry, I did the tvicha, I slaughtered that which I stole. Okay, we'll wait and see. We'll view him as one witness. In the meantime, it's nothing. But, ki also edim mechaev. When witnesses come, then he will be liable for the dalvehe. Afuke mir this is against Rav Huna in the name of Rav, the Amar Rav Huna Marav, 
This is against Rahuna in the name of Rav who says that it is not a parallel. And although one witness is waiting for a second witness to validate and create strong, full testimony, once the criminal has engaged in a confession, he's been moded to the liability. He says he slaughtered it. And he should be liable, but he's pathed himself through that. Even though witnesses come subsequently, he's still going to remain exempt. This is Gufa. Amar Avunamarav, let us evaluate this teaching itself. If he, the criminal, first admitted that which he did to become liable to the fine, he admitted it, and then witnesses came, he's exempt. Eisve, Vivakasha, Rav Chisla Rav Huna. Rav Chista is now asking a question against Rav Huna. We have a story, He blinded the eye of Tevi, his slave. And he was very happy about this. Now, don't think he was some type of sadistic person. Nothing of the sort. He was very happy that he thought his slave was freed. And he found Rabbi Yeshua. He says, I've got to share with you the good news. Did you know? Have you not found out that my slave has gone free? Amar lo, Lama. Rabbi Shua says, why? Amar lo, he says, I blinded his eye. Amar lo, Rabbi Shua says back to Rabbi Gamliel, within your words is nothing. Sorry, hate to burst your bubble, but you can admit it all you want, does not set him free. Shekvar, ain lo edim. There are no witnesses. No one else can corroborate your claim to free Tevi from slavery because you blinded him. And therefore, all you did is wound your slave and he didn't go free. Ha, yesh lo edim, But the implication is, if there would be witnesses, then he would be liable in spite of Rabbi Gamaliel's admission. This should be a proof that even though he started by confessing, admitting to the liability, then that was followed by witnesses coming to corroborate that claim. He should be liable. So instead of saying, like Ravuna said in the name of Rav, this story should teach you the opposite, that in such a case he would be liable. Amalei, so Rav presented this as a kasha to Rav Huna. Rav Huna said back, Shiny Rav Gamliel. That case is different. Rav Gamliel's case is distinct. The love of Nebestin Odi. His confession was not in front of the court. You know, he wasn't just talking to anybody. He was talking to the Abbezin. He might have been the Abbezin. He might have been the head of the court. But this was a conversation not taking place in court. So nonetheless, it's not constituting a confession that would absolve him of the liability for the knas of freeing a slave. The Brisa says, another version of the Brisa, that Rabbi Yeshua said to Rabbi Gamaliel, there's nothing within your words, because you've already 
confessed. You've already admitted it. Meaning, not like our girsa that says it's it's nothing. Shikvar ain lo edim because there are no witnesses to support your admission, but rather because you already admitted it. So this version of the Raisa says that the admission was a good admission. My love, Tanai, is it not a machlokas Tanaim? Hi, Tana Da'amar, Shekvar in Edim. The first version we saw when Rabbi Yeshua says to Magamliel, he doesn't go free. Your admission exempts that consequence because there are no witnesses. So if you'd be able to drum up some witnesses, then it would be different. That opinion, that version of the Brisa says, seemingly, that if he first started with an admission, but that was followed up by witnesses coming to substantiate the facts, then he would be liable for the Knas. And the second version of the Brisa that Rabbi Shua says to Rabbi Gamaliel, you're not freeing your slave because you already admitted it. Holds the opposite. That once he's admitted it, he's off the hook, even if witnesses come to corroborate his claim. Lo, there's no proof. Don't say it's machlokas brises, this machlokas. I'm wrong whether you say really according to everybody. Both versions of the brisa. If there's a hoda, an admission, to the, what would be the liability, the crime that would generate a liability, a fine, and then witnesses came to corroborate the facts, Potter, he's still exempt. And what are they arguing about? That witness, the, the, the version of the story that says, Rabbi Shua said, the first version, Rabbi Shua said to Rambamliel, you have no witnesses. He says that the admission was outside of the court. And the second version of the Brisa that says, no, you've already admitted it. He says, where did the admission take place? was in court. So that is a solid admission, and therefore it doesn't matter that witnesses will come later. It was an admission in court, and that is grandfathered in. We don't care about subsequent corroborating evidence. We take a look in the Rambam Hilchus Edus, Pekhaf Aleph Halachadalad. There's testimony about a certain man that knocked out the tooth of his slave. Then he blinded his eye. And then these witnesses are found to have been lying. They could not have testified because they were somewhere else with a different set of witnesses. They have to pay to the master, they tried to take away his slave from him. They have to pay that master the value of the slave, as well as the additional money they tried to take away from him, the value of the slave's eye. If they testified that the master blinded the slave's eye, then knocked out his tooth, and then they are undermined, the testimony is knocked out, again through hazama and a personal attack on them. And it comes out that the story was the opposite. 
First, the master knocked out his tooth, and then his eye. Then they have to pay the value of the eye to the slave. Now that they have to pay the value of the eye to the slave. And such similar things elsewhere. That will be the psak. We see over here the psak corroborates what Rava said. It's Mufurish elsewhere as well, but over here we see in this halacha that hakhasha is tchilas hazama and the Edim zomen are liable even though they could have been hakhasha first. The Ravid raises a question. Amr Avram The Ramam writes seemingly against this in Chovel Dalidal the master doesn't have to pay. He, if the slave takes this value, so then the court is not going to extract it out of his hands. But not that the court will force the master to pay. In fact, I don't understand. Why are we extracting from the Adam Zomamin the value of the eye, as though that was depriving the slave of that value, in a parallel universe, had it been true, or had they gotten away with it, the court would not have awarded that value to the slave. If the slave would grab it, the court wouldn't take it back and give it to the master. But why, asked the Ravid, nice kasha, the Ramam himself Haskins, that the, the Court would not award that value to the slave. Why then the Adam Zomen have to pay it? So Meiri is bothered by this. He's Mazbir, and I am Gimel. So from Adbeis, mitoch davar zeh atalomat shekol sheidu bedavar sheino nigva alpiem. The general rule. You want to understand how Adam Zomen work? Whatever they testified even a matter that the court would not force payment on. But their testimony affected a change that if one party now grabbed from the other, the court would not undo that grabbing. We view it as though the court would collect this sum based on their testimony, even though, in fact, they wouldn't. But since it changes the theoretical sack in a case of Tfisa, the Adam Zomen are liable. Amazing, Meiri. Very brisk He's basically just changing the tune. He read the Ravid. Instead of saying, Vim Tomar, he switched the tune to Vyesh Lomar. Derived from here. That's the way it is. Yes, that's the way it is. Kasha, how could it be? He didn't even do... The, the slave wasn't losing anything. The, the court wouldn't have forced the master to pay. Uh, since, had he taken, they would have, the court would have let him keep it. So the Adam Zomen have a special smack that the court finds them as though that's what happened. It's, all, it's a theoretical. It's Kasha Zom, lo Kasha Rasa. So we throw the book at them, so to speak. Nimtomar, how could it be? Vishlomar, that's the way it is. The, the Bezin will throw the book at him. 
as though the Evid was Tofes, therefore the Edom Zoman have to pay the value of the eye to the Evid.